0: Hey man, it's Kevin Smith, the guy who feels everything he says is so important that he's got six podcasts to his name, and you're listening to Hey Fam, another podcast he's trying to get his elbow inside of. Man, spread his voice around like a virus.
1: Hey Fam! episode.
2: Bonus. Damn, I forgot to say that.
1: Hey Fam, uh, welcome to Hey Fam. It's a little bonus for you.
2: It's a little, uh, it's a really intimate episode as well because uh, Levin's forgot to bring uh, two, of, he brought two microphones, that's great, but he didn't bring two microphone cables. So I'm actually going to take a photo now, which we'll use oh, when we great. do it. This is great content. This is great content. This is cross multi-platform. Just so, two guys. So just two guys sharing a mic. It's kind of like a doo-wop fifties band. <laughs> it's just fun. It looks like le and you can Photoshop that guys if you want. You could put an ice cream, a penis in his hand, anything. It just looks like he's feeding me something. Um, an, an ice cream penis An ice cream penis, yeah Streets, uh, adults only <laughs> <laughs> Remember those ad shows Do you remember those shows Like world's most uh, Like world's best commercial You remember that like a Dado had a show Where oh, it was like world's yeah. best commercials And then they'd do like The 8th it is, like, And we'll be back at 8.30 With the adults only edition And it was like implied shit It was never sexy
1: Yeah, I remember year f- year 5 or 6 camp We were all uh, We would do like the, the Canberra The Gold Rush camp oh man it was sick but they had
2: did you go to the mint
1: um, of course where else would you go it's in the mint. Yeah. um but we were all we, we all got like our own cabins and they all had a television and Huge. what should be screening the night that we're in Bathurst or canberra or whatever then yeah the greatest adults only commercials Yeah. and there were heaps of ads with titties in them and animated and,
2: condoms do you remember ones where like condoms come to life and the yeah
1: but there was one and it was like a, a, a risque, like Italian or, you know, got to be Parisian ad. Um, and amore, regardless. Straight fire Amore ad. And uh, you, we saw full bush. Really? Like, you're like, is this SBS? It was wild. <laughs> and, and, and the next morning, all the teachers were like, so did you watch the adults only ads? Yep. All right. <laughs>
2: like, all right. Let the
1: parental complaints come in. <laughs> gold rush.
2: Yeah. Holy shit. Um, but
1: yeah, so that's all. We just thought we would tell you about um, some cool adults only commercials on on this bonus episode. JK, the real reason uh, there's a bonus is because I had the pleasure of talking on the phone to Kevin Smith today.
2: I don't want to use the term podfather or godfather, but he's like, when you think podcast now, like Kevin Smith is definitely up there with Ira Glass and uh, Ahmed, who probably killed someone from cereal, (laughs) you know, like he is synonymous now with podcasting.
1: Yeah, I, I, he almost kind of reinvented himself. Not that he even needed to, but, you know, he's he's the guy that we've grown up watching his movies from Clerks to rats to Chasing Amy to Dogma to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jersey Girl. <laughs> Shout-outs to Jersey Girl and Cop Out. <laughs> um, as you all know, uh, Angus has each of those movies tattooed on one of the shoulders.
2: Yeah. I've got Bruce Willis on one with Tracy Morgan and whoever was in Jersey Golem. No, it was Ben Affleck and Bill's was Bennifer, the original. Ben- oh yeah, it was. It was yeah. Ben, ben- low. Yeah. I don't what know was what they that called name? That. I think- yeah. I'm down with Ben low. Mad. Affleck pose or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Aflo. Yeah. Afflo's good. Uh, but yes, I mean, so he's, he obviously has made stacks of great movies that we, that we definitely grew up watching in high school, but recently has completely reinvented himself as a guy that has a million podcasts, a network of podcasts and spin-offs of all of his podcasts. He currently the most recent one he he launched is a one all about Fraser, where they're doing directors commentaries for just different well, sorry just commentaries for different Fraser episodes.
2: It's a great idea. I mean, this. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I
1: wouldn't say that Fraser is a very good idea, but sure.
2: It, well, I know our um, rival um, from the Blank Slate movie podcast, Alexei Tulopoulos, is a big Fraser guy, and uh, I, I think he's feeling like Kevin maybe stole one of his ideas. But hey, you know, he put it out, man. Like
1: he did it first, bro. Don't sleep. Uh, one of our favorite podcasts that Kevin Smith does is called Fat Man on Batman, so I got to talk to him about that. Um, if you want to see this episode written up on, on on the internet, I don't know if you like to read along as you listen or something, uh, It's uh, you can find half of it on Junkie.
2: When Ari yells Lloyd, turn the page. You know, like with those learning how to read uh, books, things. I, I used to have the Roger Rabbit one, and boy, that was fun to listen to on my Sony Walkman Red Plastic Kitty edition and read along with.
1: Uh, and I'm also, there's going to be some, some on the vice website as well. So you'll uh, head over there or just f- follow so me. I,
2: you did it for two things.
1: Yeah, man. I, I'm a wow. yeah, I, multi-skilled. I, I got some wild content and and I was able to uh, use all of the audio for, for a hey Fam episode, man.
2: Yeah. Bonus app. Oh, and if you listen closely to the end, um, you know, maybe Kevin says, maybe he'll come on hey Fam one day. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> uh,
1: but the audio isn't very good. Um, it's 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 you know it's, you, you can hear what he's saying, but I recorded it using a twelve ninety nine dollar app <clears throat> that allows you to record phone calls. You got wow. any you got any cool spy apps like that?
2: Yeah, I just don't want anybody to know I use them because I'm recording every single phone conversation, but... Uh, except no, your I, own. Except my own, yeah. E- e- Edward Snowden showed me The Way and um, Citizen Four. Uh, I don't know, have you seen that? Have you seen Citizen
1: Four? That's going right over my head, bro.
2: Yeah, it was that doco that won Best Doco this year. Um, it's about Edward Snowden, like, hiding in China and... Uh, just letting everybody know that the American government was spying on us. Monumental. Uh, JGL Joseph Gordon Levitt's now starring in a film, playing Edward Snowden. Oliver Stone. Uh, I sound like a Blake Slake boy. I better stop. I better stop talking like that now.
1: Yeah, man. Is Spider Man even in it? Yeah. No, Spidey. <laughs> no me. Uh, but I, I, I was a bit disappointed by this interview because I he didn't. I couldn't audibly hear him sparking up joints. And also, he didn't cry at any point, which is well, too—you
2: you didn't see him. That's what I want to say. Maybe there was tears. Maybe he's such a good restrained cryer now that tears were streaming down his cheeks slowly, like the uh, Native American man in Wayne's World Two at the end when he has to clean up after Wayne stock. Maybe an audible tear was just coming down. This is a nostalgia reference episode, man. I'm like, <laughs> I actually <laughs> Angus is tearing up. I feel like no, I feel like I'm making references that would be in one of Kevin Smith's original movies. Just all '90s references: Walkmans, Roger Rabbit, and Wayne's World. <laughs> Damn, the Smith effect.
1: So, the reason Kevin Smith is in Australia right now, he just did a, um, a Kevin and, and, what is it, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old?
2: Yeah, yeah, something like that.
1: But uh, he's also in town in Sydney for the Graphic Festival, which is happening at Opera House um, over the next month. You can, if you just Google Sydney Opera House Graphic Festival, there's all kinds of stuff. They're doing like a Mad Max night.
2: There's a Lego thing with uh, Animal Logic right? Like the guys who do the special effects. Yep,
1: and uh, yep. Uh, the... Uh, comic book artist Nicola Scott who is really great she's doing a, a, a talk as well there's all kinds of great stuff there um,
2: Will there be a Rock and Ballers panel? That's one thing they haven't announced I know there's like uh, some uh, TBAs going on but I'm not sure if but, well, It's
1: all about comic books and I don't think The Rock has a Ballers comic book lined up yet
2: I would like to see an edgy retelling perhaps of The Rock's character uh, prequel comic series I see that has a lot of legs maybe I don't know maybe it's part of Marvel's all new Marvel Universe <laughs> maybe they can uh, slide The Rock into that reboot
1: uh, Kevin and I fortunately don't talk about The new prequel to Ballers comic book Coming out soon on Marvel But we do talk about All kinds of other comic book stuff The comic books that he grew up on uh, Comic book movies that he Would like to see at some point uh, We talk about the movie he's working on at the moment Which is More Rats 2
2: Ugh, I'm so excited for that That is like my favourite Kevin Smith That is like I'm, I think I've said it before I'm a sucker for um Second album syndromes And that is like That is like the epitome of second album syndrome for a film like Clerks, this unexpected hit, brilliant. Now, like dude's given all this money. Tries to tell a small I don't know It's brilliant It's kind of a weird Black sheep I guess But it's over t- It's super popular now Isn't it Like it's huge It made Jason Lee Who he is Yeah well
1: I'm I'm, I'm gonna go out here And I don't know on, on the off chance That Kevin has like An intern that looks up In the podcast Like Kevin Smith And like oh shit Someone that isn't Kevin Smith Did a podcast <laughs> about Kevin Smith this week um, I'm sorry Kevin But I think Clerks 2 Is a piece of shit Whoa So uh, I'm uh, But I have high hopes For Morats 2 I don't know I, I, I'm i willing to just Let Clerks 2 slide I, I, I definitely lost all hope in that movie when Smashing Pumpkins' 1979 started playing during the upsetting. So, yeah, it was basically I forgot a-
2: about that. Damn,
1: <laughs> there are numerous other reasons too, but uh, I, I don't know. it have I, been
2: in black and white.
1: I, I find Kevin Smith is such an incredibly likable present. Like there are so many weird things about him that make me go like, oh, I shouldn't have time for this guy anymore. But I just find him such an incredibly likable person. I guess it's getting to know him as a as a podcaster. Which is a weird thing to say, but I, I he, he was as likable to talk to as he is to listen to, and uh, you will definitely notice that. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that, Angus, my <laughs> man, what, what have we been consuming lately? It's Hey Fam. We got we got we got to tell these guys because yesterday, if you haven't heard it yet, we, we put out an episode episode fourteen of Hey Fam featured uh, Siobhan Reddy from Media Molecule, who did a little Big Planet and uh, the Tearaway Games. It was our first real games community guest
2: yeah first big guest the first BAFTA winning guest as well first guest to ever be on times what hundred uh, Forbes most 100 like uh important women or something rich women I don't know <laughs> I <laughs> don't really do my research <laughs> but I know the word like hundred women and stuff But I mean, she was great it's our first um first episode outside of the hey familia studios which was you know that was fun um it was great it was pretty cool to sit down with someone who is a uh an expert in their field uh and sh- talk shop and not just ask the same series of uh, questions that the press circuit had been asking her that day.
1: Yeah. We actually made a joke about um, someone asking her, oh, what's it like to be a female in the games industry? And she was like, every single interview that I did today asked me that. So, you know, we're cutting edge, man. We know.
2: Yeah, we cut through the bullshit and get straight to the baller's references. We asked the real <laughs> hard-hitting questions. We hopefully. actually did get
1: to talk about The Rock. So if you haven't heard it yet, if your podcast app, for whatever reason, it's only downloaded this one and not the one before it. Go back! Go back, man. You have to go back yeah. and listen to it. Uh, but before we get to Kevin Smith, it's coming around the corner. I swear to God, you don't have to wait much longer. Uh, Angus, is there anything cool that you've consumed lately that we should talk about?
2: Look, I have consumed some, some some good stuff this week. I mean, uh, we've never really done music, but uh, your boy and my boy, f- boys, Future and Drake, just put out a mixtape which has been doing the rounds. Uh, been taking care of all pop culture websites, um, writing for this week. So I've been into that recently. It's a goof. I think it's pretty goofy album. It's a it's a goof and a spoof. Yeah, it's a goof and a spoof. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, you kind of know that summer's coming because these guys just put out a whack mixtape. It's fine. But the way I say it, it's basically a future release with Drake features.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like as a big future fan, uh, you can definitely... I I enjoy all of his parts on on the mixtape, and I feel like it was made in, like, half a week. Yeah, you totally get that. And Future makes a lot of his mixtapes in half a week, so he sounds great, whereas I feel like Drake is a much more laboured kind of guy, so all of his bits sound kind of weak, and I, I found myself going, like,
2: Drake, get off these songs yeah, it's Drake doing tough Drake, which I don't like as much as Drake doing sensitive. Two AM. I should should I should I not call my ex girlfriend Drake? But he also does some sensitive stuff too. Towards uh, the end, he has that freestyle track. The last track's basically a Drake track. It's produced by his like his producer Forty. It's so weird. Like it shouldn't really be on that album because it's just Drake just freestyling and talking about the six and how shit Meek Mill is and stuff like that. You know,
1: just Drake things. Yeah, hashtag just,
2: just Drake. But. It just sounds like it's watered down Drake for me. I like, I'm all that pure concentrate Drake where it's just, yeah, I know, I know he's ripped now. I know he's in the gym and I know he's getting buff, but it's just kind of Drake doing kind of, like you said, it's Drake with four days of work behind him as opposed to six months in a studio, Drake. Like, yeah, but I'm still into it. It's super fun. Um, what was funny, it, it, I mean, this is. What this is Future's third mixtape this year, and I think yeah,
1: possibly even more. Oh, third mixtape and 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 went an album as well.
2: Yeah, third mixtape and album and Drake's second release this year. Both mixtapes, like the the line is getting very thin and blurred between mixtape and album. What constitutes, you know. I mean, right. people were saying like this is going to be the next Watch the Throne, but that is like an album, album. Like, that's an expensive sounding album. Like, I would,
1: can... I would much, res- much rather listen to like a hundred lackluster Future and Drake collaborations than listen to one more second of Watch the Throne.
2: Oh man, I, I, I love Watch the Throne. It's such an indulgent. Like we're not going to talk about anything that you can relate to because you need twenty zeros in your bank account to get half of these references. Like it's, it's the Illuminati album.
1: I hate it so much. Oh man,
2: I had, I, I love it. It's so fun. Like talking about goofy. That's like a jerry bruckheimer version of the future drake album which is like a um it, it, yeah watch with friends like bruckheimer slash michael bay in the studio together and i don't know what's a sh- what's a great canadian slash uh, struggle reference i can use uh
1: who are the guys that um they, like dave foley
2: dave foley yeah 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 from the kids in the hall yeah, yeah. and some dude from atlanta um who can we get Who's some Atlanta bro for the future um, reference?
1: One of the guys from Ad- Adult Swim, the guy who did Frisky Dingo and um yeah. Archer. There you go. Adam 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 Reed. Adam Reed. Adam Reed. It's like
2: them doing a Watch the Throne. I
1: mean I'm into that. I'd love to see a day falling Adam Reed joint. Um Future and Mike Will are doing a mixtape release before the year is over too. So Drake Future's just gonna keep coming.
2: He's a busy boy, isn't he? Ever but- since that Sierra breaker. <laughs>
1: uh I, we we don't really talk about music very no, often. No, I
2: thought this would be a good one to drop because it's a kind of segue for this other weird thing I consumed. Uh, I mentioned Watch the Throne, but I, I am a Kanye West fan. Um, Was never one at the start of his career, but I have this personal thing where I get insanely interested in somebody when they're just constantly in the spotlight. And I'm like, I don't get why I'm going to research and learn everything about that person to try and arrive at why that person's famous i've done it in a few instances um in, i haven't done, i did it for channing i've done it for a few people and kanye is one of those anyway now's not the time i place. big fan and but i he recently you know he hasn't released any music recently he's been i read the other day the guy's released four shoes and no albums in like a short time span so He's channeling, you know, his energies into fashion. You know, people are shocked. People either hate it or people are loving it. It's pretty controversial. Anyway, in true Kanye fashion, rather than... It it was New York Fashion Week last week. And rather than just having a show there and letting Getty images or something stick up images, Kanye being the uh, megalomaniac slash self-important worship hero-worshipping man, uh, decided to book out 60 cinemas across the world. Um and screen it live via satellite his runway show so it was 12 p.m. New York time something around that 2 p.m. maybe which equated to 2 a.m. Sydney time and I got tickets he tweeted a link he had to respond super quick how much how much for tickets zero DeLoreans oh yeah but uh a couple a couple hours let's be honest it cost a couple hours and myself and um tech guru Steve went along mm-hmm. uh who's responsible for helping us. <laughs> put things in charges and all the hard tech stuff yeah he's
1: just um whenever we have a a, a, you know a pretty easy to solve problem he's the guy to he's the guy to call
2: and he's never hassled but yeah it was whack we're sitting in the cinema the show hadn't started yet but you could see the camera was basically sitting in the middle of the room where the show was and you could see like uh drake and all these famous people coming in just sitting down and it was kind of cool because you're like Oh, I'm actually in the room, not in the room with them, but I'm kind of, and it was better than, I don't know, it was a step up from seeing like a live stream, like a Coachella stream or something, because not everyone could go, it was that exclusivity, and then it lasted seven or eight minutes, and it was just, you know, it was really highly stylized, he did it with a, um artist, Vanessa Beecroft, she's kind of helped him uh, do the show, and it was kind of super military, it was like... Coney, my, like my walk away was like, it was like Tatooine meets Coney. It was these kind of raggy earth colored clothes, but the, the way they set it up rather than have a runway and people walk down, walk back, a white person would come out, which sounds strange now, but they would say like attention. And then like four African-American soldiers would come out, kids wearing the clothes and they would be like hut and make them march to the end. And then say like left, right. It was no music. So strange off putting. And then it would cycle through black people it was really weird like obvious statement and this weird drone sound was playing it was uh, it was kind of creepy and unsettling but then he dropped a new track which was kind of like some weird chicago housey shit with uh tie dollar sign and stuff i don't know it was super weird but it was like we're all delirious it's 2 (laughs) a.m we're all fair it was kind of strange it was like seeing a star wars trailer before the internet was around where you had to go to a movie and you'd watch it in a room of other people
1: did you make any cool new friends
2: uh I made a lot of enemies because I was actually wearing my Yeezys. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to get a pair of uh, You didn't just
1: get a pair, you won a pair.
2: I won a pair um one of maybe 20 pairs that were available to the public in Sydney and I don't wear them that often like I wear them to you know I wear them to bar mitzvahs if I'm invited I'll wear them to like weddings I will wear them to events events but I, wore, I was like, well, this is where i got to wear it. It's like get dressing up as Darth Vader to, or a Stormtrooper to go watch Star Wars at midnight, you know?
1: But isn't it also kind of like wearing a band t-shirt to go see the band play? Isn't that a faux pas? Uh,
2: I can see where you're coming from, yes. I mean, I think if I wear a Yeezy shirt, yes, it's very basic. Anyone can get I'm,
1: that. I'm sure you also are wearing a Yeezy shirt though, right?
2: were oh, you wearing a Drake shirt? No, no, no. I was I, I was very basic. I was my my <laughs> it was a very basic setting, but I wore these things and these guys there was a lot of thirsty looking uh young fuckboys just going like I hate that guy and I I started to get I must admit I, I started fearing for my life. I was like why am I wearing these? I'm going to get rolled by 10 18 year old kids who have um who are health goffs. And yeah, I don't know. It was kind of an uneasy time, but we got there in the end. Uh, we watched an eight minute movie of <laughs> black models getting yelled at by white models. And we heard a new Kanye song. So that was a weird, that's definitely the most weirdest thing I've consumed in the last, since he dropped season one and I went to the cinema to watch that as well. But that was at the much more respectable 9am time. Yeah.
1: Um. I while, while Angus watched that, I was asleep.
2: Yeah. Well, everybody was. <laughs> um, but, and you know what? I was almost not going to go. I was always like, man the last one we it was uploaded on the internet half an hour later and I felt like a real big dummy. This one's still not up. Like, it was kind of, keep it exclusive. So I'm kind of like, yeah, thanks, uh Guru Steve for talking to me. And he was like, I was like, we well, really don't have to go. Like, it's pretty early. He's like, no, man, it'll be fun. And I'm like, yeah, it was fun. Thanks, St- thanks, Stevie. TGS. New segment.
1: Called Thanks, Stevie.
2: Yeah, Thanks, Steve. Every time Steve's helped us out. I know he helped you out with some Mitch and stuff recently. He did. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's a big help. He's a big help all the time. Yeah. Um...
2: What you, hey, how you been going with Mario?
1: Mario Maker came out. a Little gaming update. We've been playing two games that have been consuming our lives exponentially. Uh, they both start with M. One of them is called Oh No, kind of Mario Super Mario Maker. And they're and
2: almost the same age too, as well. I realize, like yeah, yeah. Metal Gear. Yeah, Mario and Metal Gear have been going pretty much. They both in... started on the on the NES. Yeah, they both had the humble beginnings in eight bits.
1: But yeah, Ma- Metal Gear Solid Five and Mario Maker have been destroying our lives and our families. <laughs> And uh, we'll we'll get into it a lot over the next coming weeks, and we'll actually, hopefully, we'll put up some levels on
2: our Facebook page of Mario levels that we've made that you can play. I uh, want to say that your level—I I haven't really had time because I've been so consumed by Metal Gear Solid um, at the moment. I haven't thrown myself. I've done some throwaway levels, but you have made—and this isn't just me just uh, being friendly on the podcast for uh, for the fans' sake. But no, you, your level was really good. Like I was like, congrats on making a good level. Like I had a start, like. Again, my worries, as you know, is like, oh, am I a game designer? I don't know if I can play it. And I've been reading a lot of, um, a lot of game designers been writing some articles, like eight things you should know before designing a level, like really easy stuff. And I'm not even sure if you've seen those, but yours seems to feel like, I, I love it. at the start, you introduced a concept and then you kind of keep repeating it and you kind of lead people with a carrot like that seems to be the best way to do a level i don't know and yours really i was like oh man that's really good like i was into it
1: yeah i've got to say one of the most exciting and fun parts of playing mario maker is not so much the playing of it or even the designing of it it's uh seeing people you don't know react to playing your levels that kind of you know i guess it's like getting getting a facebook comment from a relative that you've never met before (laughs) but yeah it's kind of great when, when like sometimes i've written like fuck you on people's on people's uh or in code, because Nintendo deletes swear words. But what do you some pe-
2: What do you write for fuck you when Nintendo speak?
1: Um, or I'll, I'll write like um, lame AF, like lame as fuck. I get it. It's pretty tight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really nice for people to be like, you know, oh, this is pretty hard, but overall a really well-made level. I'm like,
2: thanks, man. Community. <laughs> it's all about community. Nintendo are doing community well, it seems, to a degree.
1: Um, and then on the TV front uh, recently Angus gave me the, uh, two episodes ago even mm. Angus gave me the challenge of watching all 10 episodes of Mr. robot so we could talk about it last week but um, at, at this point i've I, I, when you when you when you gave me the challenge I hadn't watched any episodes and I've now watched three uh, so like a
2: third if you watched like a, a third of the next episodes, you'd be one third through the series. so that's pretty good, man.
1: Thanks so much for your support. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I I know you can do it. Maybe you could watch three more by our next episode. Who knows?
1: Um, So we'll we'll give you a a proper episode of Hey Fam next week. I
2: think we're going old school from what I can hear. Yeah, maybe
1: maybe a just Levin's and Angus episode.
2: Yeah, I mean, the guests are great, sure, but, you know, we're kind of like... Well,
1: let's be honest. We blew our budget with guests.
2: Yeah. The meeting trees rider was fucked. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I, I had to uh, get get a second mortgage just to get those guys in here, and you know, yeah, we're kind of making that back.
1: Well, yeah, because they actually put one mortgage on their rider.
2: Yeah, they, that was one of the riders. Like mortgage, I was like, well, here we go. <laughs>
1: I guess it's you this time, yeah, Angus. Yeah um but we'll be back next week Uh, enjoy our bonus episode and if you like what you hear hit us up facebook.com slash hey fam podcast
2: also please uh jump onto our itunes page uh if you are listening through itunes and just leave a review the thing is we don't want you to leave a review we want you to leave your ideal entourage episode there are stacks there already there's over 20 and they're all pretty hysterical and you know what it's not just for shits and Googles. We'll be using these in a very uh, creative way down the line soon, and you'll uh, you'll you'll find out unless we've already said. But you'll find out. <laughs> I think we've already said what yeah. we're going to
1: do. We're going to announce very soon a uh, hey fam live show at Giant Dwarf coming up at, at the end of the year, and within that we're going to do a live read of an episode of Entourage of, 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 that that the world has been waiting for ever since. Uh, e and 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 Johnny drama first made out, which I think is what happened in episode two.
2: And I think it'll be our world's most well, yeah. In Hayfams' world, it'll be the world's most uh, anticipated. Dreamcast segment because it's going to be a Dreamcast where we're going to be picking friends of the Hey Fam to be, uh you know, your Aries, your Lloyds. It's going to it's going to be special.
1: We're actually just going to cast everyone as Ari, so the entire room is going to bellow our Ari's lines out in unison. Yeah. So and then to then
2: phobic Ang- <laughs> yeah. uh, racist calls, please come this way. You're going to love Hey Fam Live.
1: And then Angus is going to play every other character.
2: That's that's what we've got got planned so far. I think I'm playing Ari's cell phone. So basically, I'm getting thrown at walls for the whole show. It's going to be my most physical performance I've done yet, but it's it's also like Jim Carrey's a physical guy, you know, like I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, people will remember me for my uh, my cell phone portrayal.
1: Cool. So enjoy this interview with Kevin Smith. And again, if you want to go see him, he's playing this Monday at the graphic festival at the Opera House. There are still tickets you can go see. Jason Mewes is talking with him as well. It should be fun. He's talking all about comic books. Uh Look, again, the, uh, the audio quality isn't terrific, but it's fun. He says some funny stuff. I ask some cool questions. We get interrupted at some point and then have to reconnect the call. Uh, have
2: you kept that in there? Yeah. yeah, It's well,
1: real, man. It's real, man.
2: This is for the real fans of hey Fam, you know? Also, it, it, maybe you can use this as an um, open source type. Maybe you can even write an article, pretend you're Levens, and pitch it to your local newspaper or something. Like We're giving you the bare bones of an interview here, which will make it... Let's see if you can get away with it. let do some <laughs> rogue interviews.
1: Maybe you could write your own... Kevin Smith's story in an iTunes review of HeyFam.
2: Whoa!
1: Meta as hell. Anyway, thank you so much for listening Hey HeyFam, and we will see you again on HeyFam.
3: Thank you both for waiting. Go ahead, please. Andrew. Hey, Kevin. How are you, mate?
0: Good, man. Thank you for accommodating. Yesterday oh. we were kind of talked out and
3: stuff, so... Oh, I'll dude, I was, I was actually... I got given that time uh, at the last minute, and uh, I was actually in the car with the crying uh, one-and-a-half-year-old. So it was kind of like Oh, my Lord. It it all worked out. Yeah, it worked out great. Where are you right now?
0: Uh, Right now we're in Melbourne. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. And we head to the airport, and at 2 o'clock we fly to Adelaide. We got a show there. Then we're down until Saturday, and we do Perth, and then we go back to Sydney uh, and do Mm -hmm. the Opera House Monday, and that's when we leave.
3: Cool. It's a fun, fun
0: tight schedule. It is. It's been yeah, kind of jam packed. yesterday was nice. So nice. That, I mean, we got we're staying at this hotel in Melbourne. Easily the nicest hotel I've ever stayed in, in my life. Nicest room. And I've been all around, man. So we got here the other night. And the room was so nice that we were supposed to go to uh, Adelaide yesterday, but we decided to kick back in Melbourne. So we didn't do anything touristy. Man, we went to like the food store. And, like, the big W and, like, got, got a local massage and um, picked up schnitzel. Like, it was cool. We trolled around the neighborhood a little bit. And, you know, people were like, hey, it's you guys. So we took some pictures, but it was no big deal. But it was really nice. It was most days, you know, you run from city to city. But we got to actually chill out and spend a, a day in Melbourne with nothing to do but, be, be you know, Melbourne it. And, and we Melbourne it hard, man. It was nice.
3: It sounds like you actually did the best of what Adelaide has to offer, but in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, apparently that's what they keep telling me. I'm telling you the whole trip, everyone's been like, Oh, you're going to love getting Adelaide. They got the best weed. So <laughs> boy, oh boy, they've, there's been so many promises made about the weed in Adelaide, but, uh, but regardless you, this country, you don't even need to be baked uh, to appreciate it. It's just so fucking beautiful and, and different, but the same as ours. It just seems like a, like, uh, you know, America was a blueprint and, uh, you know, Australia was like, well, okay, this is how we perfect it. It was really <laughs> cool be, it being here. Like, people are so, so sweet and, and like, it's just chill. Like, I, I got, the other day we were being driven around by this dude Wally, man. He's in the Meanies. Uh, that's his real gig. He's in a band,
2: a couple yeah. of bands.
0: But while we're here, he's kind of tour managing us. And um, we were driving somewhere. And he was doing like, you know, speed limit or something. And I was like, so pokey, Wally. He's like, well, Sherry, mate. And suddenly I was like, yeah, really, what is my hurt? As everybody here, there's no sense of urgency, which is nice, because then you start going, well, you know, it's I guess it's a false sense of urgency. You know, all that kind of like, we got to hurry up, that we put on ourselves in the States. Kind of manufactured,
3: man. Like you know, it, it was it was nice. It was a real kind of moment of bliss in Australia. <laughs> there's a there's a small amount of urgency for me. I need to somehow write two stories out of this conversation and oh, use the uh, right, and, and use the now. entire uh, and use the entire interview for my podcast, which is called Hey Sam. Uh, <laughs> okay, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not too urgent. I'm, I'm still lying down. It's fine. Uh, uh, I guess I, the first question I want to ask you is that, like, you know, your two kind of main roles in in 2015 seems to be either, like, making movies about whatever the fuck you want or traveling around the world talking about whatever the fuck you want. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I wanted to know which is the, which is what you prefer overall now at the moment.
0: I mean, they're both kind of sweet. Um, I still kind of look at everybody else's job and go like, oh, man, I wish I was that cat. or Oh, man, I wish I had that. And just every once in a while I realize that, like, this is all I ever wanted, right? You know, the, the lazy guy in me. It loves the idea of being paid to be yourself and do whatever you want. Um, th- there's no standard, so that's kind of cool. You know, like, they don't judge you against anyone else. They just judge you against your previous work. And the specter of clerks looms large, but not so large that I can't, you know, accomplish other things and do what I want. It, you know, it, it just means, like... I don't strive for the same shit other people do. Like you know, the best in their you know being the best at what they do, winning an Oscar shit like that. I'm I'm not like the the master of anything you know except baiting. I'm just I like jack of all trading it, and so I, you know I like I like both, but honestly, they're codependent. Like I, as much as I love the movies, I can't go out and just talk about being me unless you have a igniter, a sexy conversation starter. Like, you know, I'm not so foolish as to think I'm the interesting person. The job is interesting. So the job gives you lots to talk about and stuff like that. So it's kind of like I have to do the movies in order to go out and just talk about being me. They're kind of uh, one and the same at this point.
3: Yeah, it's funny that I mean your entire back catalogue of movies, while definitely highly influenced by comic books, you know the the main the main trait of your movies is that they're kind of you know comedies, stoner comedies even, or you know romantic comedies. But more often than not, I see you doing panels like the one you're doing next weekend uh, about about comic books. And I just, did you ever think that maybe it would make more sense for you to do a comedy panel or? I know it's weird. Like whenever somebody invites me
0: to a comedy fest, like Aspen invited me to a comedy fest, I, I shy away from it. I mean, I went once, but for me, it's weird because comedians. I always held comedians in the highest regard, and that's a art form in and of itself. And I just go out and answer questions. I try to be funny doing it, but you know, I don't have to sit there and generate a whole routine. I just have to tell anecdotes and stuff. So, you know, when they say, "Hey, come talk about comics," it feels more comfortable, even though technically I'm not a comic book person. I love comic books, and I've gotten a chance to write comic books, but I can't draw them for shit, and it's not <laughs> like I, I, know any, you know, uh, history to the degree of a lot of pe- other people might or something. But I was talking about it early on from the jump. I think because of that. That's what bought me credibility, you know, two decades in. Like, from Mallrats forward, I was kind of always the guy going, yeah, comic books, comic books. And, you know, I went, at one point I went and wrote comic books, which, is like, now everybody does that. Everybody Like, Damon Lindelof, like, Thor Rock, motherfuckers who work in movies and TV, they go do their run on comic books as well. But back in the day, there was, like, one guy I saw do before me. It was uh, Jeff Loeb. He had written... Um, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger God. movie, Commando, it was called. And so he went and wrote a mini series for DC Comics, The Challengers of the Unknown. I was amazed by that. I was like, this dude came from movies and he's now writing a comic book. So when I had my chance, like, you know, when uh, Clerks happened and then I was working on Maulrats. I just kind of pushed my name forward into the world of comic books, man, where I was like, I would love to write one of these. So I wound up writing Daredevil. Then I got to write Green Arrow and stuff. So, you know, suddenly I had legitimacy because the Brody character in Mallrats talked about comic books a bunch. And I was out there going, yeah, man, comics are viable, American art form. Back in when people were still like, this is kid shit. Now, multi-billion dollar industry and whatnot. So I got to... I got to be a guy who's closely identified with it, even though, like, I didn't dig any trench in that world whatsoever, with the exception of, like, hey, he went from movies to that. But but uh, other than that, like, you know, it's not like I'm an industry giant or something, but I get to stand shoulder to shoulder with Stan Lee some days. And that's kind of sweet to go from fan to to commentator or something like that. I don't even know what he would call me in the world <laughs> of comic
3: books. It's wild because your movies not only pione I don't think they pioneered two things that are just considered the norm when it comes for a comic book movie these days. And obviously you've got the the, the first I don't know, I can't think of an example before your movies of, of you know, with, with such a wide range of movies as having a shared universe. Um which is I would definitely
0: the John Hughes was the first one.
3: Oh, shit. You know, cool. I
0: really noticed, like, I re- he would talk about Sherman, Illinois and a couple of those movies. And I was like, oh, my God, they're all in the same place. Um, and and John Landis had a touch of it every once in a while. Like, you would see, like, uh, the two dudes from Trading Places popped up in a quick cameo in Coming to America. And you were like, oh, my God, it's the same two dudes. Like, you know, shit like that always did it for me. But I was influenced by, you know, the world of comic books mostly where Batman can can pop up in Superman's title and Spider-Man can pop up, you know, inside um, Thor's title or something like that. So when I had a chance to do the movies, it just made sense to link them all. You know, like I understand people making standalone stuff, but I liked weaving a weird little thread with all the movies just to be like, yeah, they all take place in the same world and they know each other and stuff. So years later, man, that's like, who knew? You could make billions of dollars if you do that correctly with the right characters. But I love it. That's why it's like a fun time for me to go to the movies. You know, I took some heat online. Somebody wrote a blog recently. I thought it was kind of interesting where they were like, how come you're not shitty anymore? Like when you were a kid and clerks and mall rats chasing Amy, you got a sharp, satirical voice about you know the entertainment industry and now you're sitting around talking about how you can't wait for episode seven we need that voice to hatch at these big bloated pieces of shit and so (laughs) forth and so on and i'm just not that guy like i don't think i was ever that
1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Fucking guy. I've always liked, liked the big movies a lot. I, mean, I know what they are. They're not cures for cancer, but it's big, goofy fun and... Those Marvel movies interconnected the way they are. I know some people are like, it's insidious. It's a giant machine, a product machine with commercials within the movies for the next movie. But I was raised on that shit. You know what I'm saying? You didn't read a comic book without being hyped to some other comic book you were supposed to be reading in conjunction. So, I, you know, it's nice to see it working cinematically. Um, I love it, but it doesn't call to me in terms of making it. I just want to watch it all. And it's a great time to be a comic book fan for that because, you know, they're translating some of that bigger stuff over stuff I grew up reading. Like, I'm not even a big uh, Vision and the Scarlet Witch fan, but when I saw those two together in the recent Avengers, I was like, I had that miniseries. This is fucked up. My entire childhood is now coming to life and stuff. But you know, for me, I never felt like I was a guy who shit on that kind of stuff. I, I was always the my characters always loved those big. Goofy movies. I, you know, it's just the movies that in, themselves that I made were not big, goofy movies. But in these weird movies, talky little movies, my character is obsessed about those big, goofy movies. And and kind of like, I don't know, whenever I look at Mallrats now, and I, I do look at it quite a bit because we're getting ready to make the sequel, I feel like, wow, this movie like predicted the current world you know before it was like now everybody talks like brody brody used to be like a standalone character that some fucking people at comic book conventions really could relate to but then the way the world got connected with the internet we found out there it's predominantly brody out there man like people who are crazy passionate about comic books or movies or wrestling or media, whatever it is, man, like to the point where everything else is kind of secondary. And that generation of Brody's kind of created the current media landscape as well as, you know, doing online business in the 21st century. It's kind of nuts. But, you know, now everybody talks about the shit Brody talks about. I used to think it was just me and my friends, but, you know, the world got connected and we found out we're all pretty geeky at heart, so much so that the you know the geeks uh, they keep telling me in the media have inherited the earth. I haven't made any money off
3: of it, but they tell us we've inherited the earth. Um, another trope that you uh, almost pioneered, you definitely pioneered. it were definitely the first person that is this. The Stan Lee cameo in Morax—that's that, now <laughs> yeah. that, that's now in every in every Marvel movie, and it's almost like where the fuck was he when well, he doesn't show up? But have you uh, man, have you locked him down, man? Like
0: Stan Lee. Like if you look back at my entire body of work and picked any of the actors I worked with, you know, and took their box office for every movie and totaled it up, I mean, he's like I used to think Affleck was our biggest gun we ever had, but (laughs) I think it's Stan Lee. I think pound for pound at the box office, Stan Lee has has been in more successful movies, and if you look at his box office track record, way at the bottom of the graph would be Mallrats, the most fantastic <laughs> Stan Lee movie of all time. But we were there first. so and you, know,
3: and you let him talk the most as well. He has the most lines in your movie. Maybe more that's more the sense. key. You give him too many cool. lines, the movie doesn't make enough money.
0: I'll tell you, man, for 20 years, my man has been going like, like, oh, you got to put me in another movie. And I was like, boy, Stan, what more can we do? 20 years later, he's probably the guy that's getting rats 2 financed for me, man. be going... <laughs> Hey, man, Stan Lee's in the movie. They're like, Stan Lee? Oh, shit, take some money.
3: So you locked him down for the yeah, sequel?
0: Man. He's in, man. He's, he's been asking me for years to do something. So finally I was happy to be like, Stan, we're doing something. He goes, what is it? I was like, you mall Rats too, you get to play yourself again. He goes, it's just not a stretch, but I'll do it. He left <laughs> back, man. He's a hes a ham. His only thing was like, where are we shooting? And I was like, I think the East Coast and he doesn't want to travel anymore. You know, he's, he's kind of on the older side. Stands, stands about 92, 93. So, you know, the idea of going anywhere other than gorgeous California, man, where he can get into a nice routine, keep himself healthy, I guess is kind of a, a, a daunting proposition at this point. But he still keeps traveling, man. He still keeps going. The ambassador of comic books. This is a guy who, like, his voice has been in my head since before I knew what his voice sounded like because I would read his voice in all the comic books I ever read and and, you know now we know what he sounds like now he's a part of everyone's life you know for years I was out there going this guy's like you know the fucking Mark Twain of comic books and and now everybody agrees. like it's nice when everybody's on the same page for something that you believed in early and I'm not one of those like early adopters it's like man I liked it when it was cool No, I want everyone to fucking embrace Stan Lee. Like, think about it. You don't get many mythology makers or creators, you know, who produce that many beloved characters that have produced that much beloved media, not just all the books I've read, but all. Hello?
3: Hello? Hey man. sorry, I what hey. happened man i I think the whoever was listening said i've heard I've heard Kevin Smith talk about Stanley too many fucking times <laughs> Yeah. I'm up the phone <laughs> I was like right on um, I figure landline
0: might be a little better,
3: oh, cool, I'm here, who knows why um I'm gonna go with what i said uh yeah, so uh I, I, we, I guess yeah you like you like you like Stanley, everyone likes Stanley, and we can end that, end, end that part of conversation there um. I was wondering, with uh, given how I don't know, I kind of, I guess I, I grew up with your movies and I, I watch all of them. But uh, recently, I'd, I'd suddenly hear you two, three times a week because of what a podcast uh, pope you've become. <laughs> you <know what> <laughs> uh, but I, I wonder if uh, you know, given that the fact that pod, podcasting is a relatively new medium, if it had not existed back in the day, in like the early nineties. Do you think do you see yourself heading towards that without first making movies or
0: no absolutely if i if podcasts had existed back then, I would have saw Richard Linklater's slacker and then went home and recorded a thousand podcasts about it. but I never would have thought to make a movie so yeah if uh, this is the medium that I gravitate toward the most, like number one, I got a body made for radio, but number two. <laughs> Like, you know, words, that's my first language. Like, speaking in pictures, I was never adept at. You know, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, Richard Linklater, these are cats that are born to tell you a story in pictures. Uh, For me, that's just what was available to me at the time, um, making a film. Richard Linklater did it. I said, let me see if I can do it. But if I'd had podcasting, if I had the ability to kind of like, you know, say what I wanted to say, I just would have said, "Oh, I love this movie. You got to go see this movie," and that would have been more than enough. Yeah,
3: because you have uh you have how many podcasts do you have now? It's insane. How many? You have like uh, a Fraser I mean, podcast now.
0: Yeah, that's that's that that one is kind of my fave of the moment, just by virtue of the fact that like I go out there a lot and try to tell people to record their own podcasts. I'm like, before somebody figures out how to you know charge you to do this or regulate this medium, so that. Only certain people could do it. I said, go out and do it, man. It's it's fun as heck. But I used to give the example of, like, you can do a podcast about anything. You can do a, not not even a podcast about all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just Leonardo. <laughs> um, you know, and people, you'll get to 100 episodes for somebody before you have to say, it, like, you know, Donatello is a bitch. There, I said it. But now I can point to the Frazier podcast, Talk Salad and Scrambled X. It is a podcast where we sit around and do unasked for commentary tracks for Frasier, and me and Matt Rottmeier are trying to get through every episode. So far, we're almost done with season one. But, like, that, you know, that's a show that would never get made in any other medium. You know, nobody on TV is like, let's watch dudes watch old TV shows. But, on you know, in a podcast medium, oh, it's perfect, because we barely talk about Frasier it's more kind of about the creative process and being funny and stuff. And then Frazier just grounds the thing. but uh, And it gives people a way to play along at home, too, because they can watch the episodes with the commentary track. And now we start seeing people go like, you know, I like to watch the episodes, then w- listen to the commentary track while watching the episode. And then... That's already putting more thought into it than we put into recording the podcast in the first place. So you appreciate that kind of appreciation from the audience, man. I, you know, so with the Fraser podcast, I think that brings me up to was it six a week? I mean, there's Smodcast, then Hollywood Babylon, Jane, Silent Bob, Get Old, Fat Man on Batman, Education, and uh, Talk Salad and Scrambled Eggs. Yeah, six a week, man, if I can imagine. But, like, being here on the road, there were, like, none this week. I think we had a holdover from last week that we put up, but now this week it'll be all get-old episodes because that's all we've been doing since we've been in Australia. Uh,
3: the Fat Man on Batman one is probably, I mean, just being also a comic book fan, is obviously going to be my favorite one. Uh, and oh, I, love that, so I, love, I love that it started out as, with such, you know, high Batman intention, but then that you can just hear yourself just loving talking about this shit with with friends that also love talking about this shit every month and just letting it just be this, you know, fantastic. I mean, you call it what a geek news update now, but
0: yeah, but it's it, like the it, utility belt. We wind up calling it mostly. I mean, that's the nice thing about that medium is it can gravitate to be whatever it winds up being like, you know, if it was a TV show and suddenly, you know, in the middle of a successful run, you were like, Hey, we're not going to do what we're known for anymore. We're just going to do this because it's more fun for me. Like that, you know, mo- you'd probably get canceled, but here it-, it totally works. Here they're like, yeah, look, if you get guests again, you want to sit down and talk about Batman and cry, that's fantastic. But until then, let's just talk about everything. And, you know, it all falls under the fucking heading. Every once in a while you get some cats going, like, the show's called Fat Man on Batman, but you fucking talk about Daredevil an awful lot. But it's like, it's all connected, brother. You know, Batman and fucking Daredevil would like each other if they existed. Calm down. So, you know, you get to weave it all together. But I love that podcast as well. Because, you know, we talk a bit, we have geek news on Hollywood Babylon. But, like, uh, doing the Fat Man on Batman as the utility belt now just enables me and and Mark Bernard to just sit there and, talk about everything like in a way that it matters almost in the way that Brody used to talk about that shit you know that's that podcast is probably me at my absolute brodiest cuz we're talking about shit where the players involved don't give a fuck about us, except to get our money when the movie's done. But we talk about them the way that sports enthusiasts have spoken about athletes and fucking sports for years, where they're so invested as if they have anything at stake whatsoever. It's a fucking game. But in the 21st century, you could play the movies and comics and media the same way that sports fans have enjoyed you know sports and athletics for years and stuff. You can even gamble on this shit. It's crazy. So you know, it's nice to have you know your passions validated on on a mainstream level, or at least a level where you know it's not just you and a couple people. They used to be able to dismiss you as like, oh, there's just a bunch of you in your parents' basements or whatever. No, not at all. A lot of us run companies now and shit like that, and can still give a fuck about the adventures of characters that don't exist.
3: Uh, please tell me that when you return to Mallrats Two, Brody is going to have a podcast down by it. Of course. Of course. Is that he is that genuinely going to gonna happen?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's in the script already. Absolutely. <laughs> um he's also self-published, uh, you know, he he's like Brody was the guy who consumed a lot of the media and I would have to assume in the age of, you know, um the web version 2, where version 1 was like here's a bunch of shit to do. Brody wasn't even around for version 1 of the web. Version two of the web is, here's a skeleton, provide all the content. And Brody would be a content fucking generator. I mean, we got to remember, he did wind up hosting the Tonight Show for a brief time. So <laughs> I I have to imagine he's got plenty of podcast material. And in Mallrats 2, quite like myself, he is just basically a global local celebrity. Um, a dude who everybody kind of knows, but not really what for anymore. And... <laughs> He's got a kid who's not really impressed by it all. And she's like, you know, Dad, you're not really a celebrity. You're more of kind of a a local curiosity, like the one-armed barista and stuff like that. That's great.
3: (laughs) Uh, My favorite episode is Batman on Batman. I mean, I love when you have creators and people that have been involved in Batman on just for a general interview. But I love when you have them back even more and they just recommend their favorite comics that featured Batman, their favorite Batman story. Grant Morrison being
0: the king of that,
3: man. Yeah. Oh,
0: he's he's like, he, if, if he lived in America, he'd be the guy that I'd probably try to co-host that show with all the time. But he don't care about the industry as much as he could just wax eloquently about fucking almost any character, but
3: particularly Batman. Well, he was actually the main guest at the Graphic Festival last year.
0: Oh, yeah, he gives good guests, man. <laughs> I mean,
3: come on. He, he talked,
0: that little piece about Robin he did... Was insanely moving. I mean, he talked about you know how most people kind of dismissed the Batman Robin relationship with the joke of like oh uh, they're fucking each other or whatever. But he he had this insanely deep take on the relationship that brought a tear to my eye. Man, you can hear my voice crack as I'm sitting there talking to him about it on the podcast. So yeah, he's
3: a deep thinker about this shit. Yeah, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I need to create like a list article. Go <laughs> oh, uh, right. to... ahead, I'll keep it tight. I'll so, uh, tight. so on uh, on that note, um, and and given that you are kind of presenting a big uh, talk about uh, you know the, the superhero multiverse um, and, and and what that means for a fan in 2015, which is a whole lot more than I than I guess it would have meant 20 years ago. Um, what are uh, what are five comics that you would love to see? Either like adapted or readapted things that you that 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 you want to die, knowing that you 've seen as big as it possibly could have been I
0: would say uh fearful symmetry, which was an amazing spider man storyline uh, they called it when they traded uh, trade paperback collected i think it was called the death of Craven um, yep. it, it was a fantastic story about uh, Craven, who was a kind of a joke villain in spider man 's universe. Uh, finding out that he's sick and going on a massive ba- big hunt for Spider-Man, taking Spider-Man out, not killing him, but burying him alive, putting on the costume to see what it would like be like to be as his ultimate foe. And, you know, spider Man's left for dead underground. It's a very psychologically compelling storyline. Uh, yeah, how, how good would it
3: be if the, the first thing we see of the new Spider-Man is his, like him, like, bursting out of the grave? With no exactly. immediate no, no explanation. Like that, like that amazing cover. Yeah,
0: oh, believe me, fuck you, take my money. I, <laughs> I would like to see that before I die. The question, I would like to see them do the question. I think that character lends himself to uh, cinematic or uh, re- uh, representation. You're talking about a dude with no features. Like, you know, Batman shows up in an alley you're like, why would someone dress like this? You, you're doing, up, you're up to no good, and somebody taps you on the shoulder. You turn around, it's got no eyes, no nose, no mouth, no ear holes. Like, you would kill yourself. You wouldn't even have that dude bring it to justice. It could be terrifying. So the question I would like to see them do, um, let's see, what else do I love? That mage, um, which is uh, the hero discovered the Matt Wagner miniseries, Arthurian miniseries, which was you know, uh, set in, like, Philadelphia, I think it was. It wasn't so much King Arthur's Kevin Matchstick, the guy with the bat and, uh, who uh, finds out how, you know, that he's the only one who could take on the Umber sprites fantastic fantastic uh, late 80s, early 90s comic book miniseries. Um, let's see. Um, the Lost, Mark Draco did a miniseries about... Peter Pan world but the boys the lost boys grew up to be like street hustlers and it was a really interesting take on uh Peter Pan lore uh, that could easily be uh, adapted in, into movies i know we got another Peter Pan movie coming up but this one was truly original in comics and uh let me see what else do i love that i've never seen done um, it looks like they're heading toward. I mean, Zack Snyder has borrowed heavily from Dark Knight Returns, which you know means that probably over the next five years we're going to get the movie we thought we'd never see—pretty uh, much a live-action Dark Knight Returns. So mm. I guess it's no point in wishing for that. But uh, um, the Kingdom of the Wicked, wonderful miniseries, uh, or is a one-off big old fat off graphic novel hardcover that I read years back. That was uh, about uh, toys, uh, a world of toys that had gone bad, an imaginary world of toys. Really dark, really well done.
3: Who did that one? I've never heard of that.
0: can't remember the artist or writer, man, but at one point I tried to get it to turn it into a feature. I really thought it could stand uh, to make the leap, but nobody was into it. They're like, this is too dark.
3: Do you think you'll ever do a comic book adaptation?
0: That one I didn't want to do myself. I just wanted to try to shepherd it. But no, I the closest I get is this movie, Yoga Hosers, we just finished, is very much a comic book movie. It's just the girls don't have their own, you know, backstory comic book. Like, they're not, they're new. But, you know, they wear costumes. They fight monsters. The whole third act is shot like a Batman 66 episode right down to the Biff Band Pals and Dutch Tilts. So I, I feel like I've... I've kind of got as close as I get. Like, I love all those characters I grew up reading, and I love to watch all those movies, but, you know, you got to treat that shit so seriously, and and I appreciate the people that do. I love Zack Snyder's giving us a trailer for Batman v Superman that looks as fucking serious as Mel Gibson's treatment of fucking The Passion of the Christ. So I love that. That's fantastic to me, but... I could never do that myself. I love people that treat this shit seriously, but you know how time consuming it is? Like ask yeah, Zack Snyder, how long it takes to make one of those movies. But I you know, my kind of movie where, you know, I'm I'm shooting better action than I did early in my career, but still it's not breaking anybody's back. Like I like to make movies where when the audience watches it they go, I can do that Like I don't look at Zack Snyder snuff and ever go, I could do that I go, Ooh, I wanna watch that but like my stuff, I, you know, I look at it and go, I could do that because I did it myself. But it's also kind of empowering because you look at it, it, makes people think, yeah, I, I can pull that off. There's not that much to it. Like Jim Jarmish was the guy who inspired me, his camera work, watching Stranger Than Paradise. I'm like, he's just letting shit, fu- you know, happen in front of the camera. And because that happened, like, I got a whole career. So you figure a little bit of payback is to make your visual style easy enough for even a child to fucking follow along because Sooner or later, maybe they pick up a camera and go for it. But I love those comic book movies, but I'd never want to make one myself.
3: What about, I mean, like, I feel like we're heading towards the, the, the era where, I mean, hopefully Ant-Man kind of set us back a bit in that, you know, it looks like that was going to be a really, really different movie, but it ended up being, you know, quite formulaic, which is still fun. But, you know, we thought with Edgar Wright originally attached to it, it was going to be something different and maybe smaller but do you think we are heading towards an era where you could potentially make like a really low budget superhero movie that still exists in the same universe and isn't necessarily about action, but is about, you know, the in-between the panels? Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think they're doing a pretty good job with the Marvel TV division, particularly like the Daredevil run on Netflix. Mm. You're talking about a show that's certainly more character-driven than any of the Marvel movies. And, yeah, there's wonderful action set pieces, but... It's really more about people exchanging ideas, having conversations, plotting and stuff, not so much the action. So yeah, absolutely. I think the Marvel Netflix universe is kind of a good testing ground for that sort of stuff. Uh you know, cinematically, I think, you know, it'll take a little bit. And I think since Disney owns every Marvel license and franchise at this point, I don't know that there's much that they'd be willing to risk like, Hey, let's see if an art house version of this shit could work. Like <laughs> All of it has to earn, man. They paid a lot of money for that Marvel library. So it looks like they're going to let the Netflix world be, you know, uh, the place where they can get experimental and, you know, start doing some uh, different interpretations of the same material of, of super heroic material, which is great, you know. Give me the big bombastic shit in the movie theater, and then when I'm watching Netflix, let me binge something that takes me ten, twelve episodes to watch, like you know something that's more character driven. Because you know, when I, you know, when I read the comic books, I don't really look at the pictures. You know, I kind of gloss over them. I'm a wordsmith, so naturally, the comic books I love are heavily dialogue driven. So I prefer. You know, uh, in, in treatment of the stuff, that. I like watch. I love that Daredevil miniseries because it was watching a lot of fuckers talk. And that's what I like about the comic books. You know, it's just the content that they're talking about, you know, that makes it all that different from me reading a book or something. So I, I, I love what they're doing, man. and And I think it's possible to do, like, cinematic versions of these superheroes that aren't based on the bombast but it looks like they're killing it on TV so let's not fucking spoil the golden goose. Mm. <clears throat> so
3: you watch all the movies, you watch pretty much all the TV shows, too you managed to talk about all the movies on the TV as well. Do you still get time to read new comics or is that does that kind of take it back? No, there?
0: that's the that's the one thing that I don't do that much anymore. Like I you know once new 52 happened to DC I kind of realized what it what was going on. Like you know, I I was there when things turned over into the what do they call the modern age or we called the dark age you know when the Neil Gaiman's and Alan Moore's and Grant Morrison's you know kind of came in and, and Frank Miller and started doing the characters very very seriously um, you know an adult because the, everyone figured hey kids are gone they're never coming back we know it is shit sports for us so I, I had a good twenty twenty five year run uh, of some of the best comic books ever created from an era that was informed. A bunch of artists who were informed by the greats, but then put their own modern interpretation on it. You know, they imitated until they can innovate their whole lives they loved these stories but then when they got the reins of these stories they didn't just do the same stories they innovated frank miller didn't just do you know your standard jim aparo or neil adams batman he did his batman and his batman's the one that you know right now is the one that's going to make a bunch of money at the box office so i had a good 20 25 years uninterrupted uninter- of all the comics I love, and yeah, they would do reboots and, and renumbers and foil covers, and they tried to get my money any which way to Sunday. But I was cool with it because I loved all this shit. But when they rebooted with New Fifty Two over at DC, and this is not a critical like kind of fuck them and so anything, I just realized, oh, they um they don't care about me anymore. It's time for a new age of comics. They're you know just like. The mar the golden age gave well to gave way to the silver age and then the silver age gave way to the modern age eventually to the dark age like now we gave way we were giving way to the digital age where it was different where comic books were now no longer about me and my friends like these they belong to the world because these characters now are worth money like they're licenses to somebody so. Now they're going to shape them to look more like the movies in the case of the Marvel Universe or in the DC Universe. You know, we're going to start making subtle changes because the movie people think it looks better, like Superman's underwear goes away and suddenly he's wearing all blue and stuff like that. So, you know, once I realize, ah, they're going after the next generation because that's who they need, you know, I, I've taken it as far as I can with the comic books, but I'll always be there because this shit is, is woven into my DNA. And, you know, I'll hear things like, what, Frank Miller, Dark Knight 3? Of course I'm going to buy that. And then there's some things where people are like, hey, man, you got to read Snyder's Batman right now. Of course I'll pick that up. Anything Grant Morrison does. But the, i got to get everything and read it all, um, is gone because they're not marketing to me at this point. Like, they're kind of telling stories for the next generation. And like a good fan you just stand down you know you could do two things you could bitch about how oh they don't care about the real fan anymore or whatever but what is a real fan it's whoever's buying it and right now i'm not that guy so you know i'm the guy that will support these characters in every way the medium in every way but you know they're not making the books for me anymore which is fine they're making the movies for me and oddly enough they're making the movies work for the kids as well but Right now, it sounds so weird to say, but like that's not my Batman. You know, that's that's not my Marvel universe where the Fantastic Four is not the Fantastic Four, and they're not the Fantastic Four because well, there's corporate you know hiccup between two major companies that have nothing to do with comic books. So it's you know, it's just not my time for for comics. But I spent my time and enjoyed uninterrupted, unadulterated, probably one of the greatest uh, periods of comics, greatest epochs in comics history in terms of uninterrupted uh, creativity, fantastic, um, noteworthy landmark books and stuff like that. But then if you really love something, you got to let it go. So I get to put it in my work, and I'll always get to talk about the stuff, but the more I hear myself talk about comic books, the more I realize oh, that's a 25-year-old comic book. That's a 30-year-old comic book. You're not talking about anything current for these cats. Talk about the new Hawkeye book or talk about what Captain Marvel's doing or the Carol Corps. And you realize, like, wow, I mean, I support a lot of stuff. That's all great. But that's some other kid's you know, generation. That's who I was 25 years ago. That's that's. This is their time to shine. And that's their era of comics and stuff. So you'll read about people who worship at the altar of today's current writers and artists, you know, and some of these stories, you're like, really, this story? But it means the world to them, just like the crap that I fucking love, that I gave up time and and fucking Friday nights and pussy to get around (laughs) and be around to read and stuff like that because it was my religion. You know, it just gets changed. That's the beautiful thing about this religion. Unlike most religions and faiths, You know, there's one dogma, one doctrine. It's unchanging for hundreds of years. Here We're more malleable in comics, man. It's just like, yeah, the story's roughly the same, you know, good versus bad and shit. And Good's mostly got to win, but bad's got to win sometimes. Keep it interesting. But it don't have to stick to the same exact letter-perfect Bible story. You know, Batman's background could change a little bit. So maybe Alfred isn't just a gentleman's gentleman, but he used to work with fucking special forces, so he's a hard ass, and he's got a cockney accent, you know. That's the new Alfred and stuff. That ain't the Alfred I grew up with, but that's the Alfred we got now. Subtle changes like that, you know, a Batman that's far more wild, wired into the the net because that's important and stuff. Things that I didn't necessarily grow up with, they're, they're getting now in their characters. And every generation gets the Batman it deserves. So. We had the Batman that was just, I'm pissed and angry, and my parents are dead, and Robin's dead, too. And now the Batman is more, you know, a cool customer, you know, Bat God, James Bond as Batman. He's still got that darkness, my parents were killed thing, but, you know, Bruce Wayne is worth a lot more than the billionaire he's always been in comics. He's worth probably trillions at this point because of his secret identity. When is Batman
3: going to get his own podcast, though?
0: Could you imagine? If he gets his own podcast, he's out of business, man. I mean, that's the idea. Like, the idea is this is a cat who needs to suffer in silence, and and his version of the podcast is beating the shit out of a criminal. But uh, the moment he sits in front of a microphone, forget it. His problems are over. He realizes, you know, all of his problems are in his story. And, you know, the more he speaks, the better he's going to feel. But. Thank God
3: he's not a talker. Thank God he talks with his fists. Um, on the Fantastic Four note, um, the saga of you interviewing Josh Trank in the lead up to the new Fantastic Four movie got, <laughs> it was got so me. Fun. Dude, it got me so excited. I had no idea what a big Josh Trank fan I was. And I, me I feel neither. I and you and you're rooting for him in all
0: three of those episodes. You're like, this motherfucker's got his head on straight and stuff and then uh you know it'll be a long time before we get that fourth episode if ever uh he you know, i reached out to him a couple weeks after you know it opened and stuff i wasn't stupid enough to try to hit him up right after and be like hey we got to finish our mini series
3: but <laughs> uh, i on? hit him
0: up and i said no pressure dude but the door's always open of course like everyone would love to hear the end of the story from you and so, and he wrote back he said wouldn't it be great if I just came on and we acted like nothing ever happened and I still had the Star Wars job <laughs> And I said, Yeah, that's one way to do it. I said, That's how you wanna play it, totally cool. But right now, you know, I, there was some rum legal rumb- legal rumblings after the movie came out. You know, people were I read an article where they're like, He may you know, his tweet may have cost the studio money. So it's probably not a wise thing for him to go out there and be talking right now. But one day I will get him back in the fat cave, and we will have the devil's candy discussion about what happened in that movie
3: and stuff. You've got to like just keep your head on, like your like your finger on the pulse, if there's ever going to be a potential, uh, you know, a creator versus studio rumble like that, and make sure you do a four part interview with him every time. Every time, dude. I'm telling you, I think
0: he reached out to me. A nice guy he reached out to me, and I think I. I realized why when the movie came out. I was like, oh, in me he sees a kindred spirit of a guy, a guy who's just about to take it up the ass royally uh, across the boards on the Internet. I think he was girding himself for that. So I think he came over to be like, how do you live uh, by being hated by everybody? And I was like, well, you know, it flips. It's the Internet. Wait a minute and the temperature will change.
3: And I mean, because I mean, what, what's your Fantastic Four story? What which which particular movie did you get? Out I the think bus for of? him
0: it might have been working on Superman, or it right. might have
3: also been the
0: Red State thing, where I was, or when I picked fights with critics and stuff. I think he was just like, well, here's a guy who's been in trouble quite a bit, so to speak, and he still has a career. Like he hasn't been drummed out of the business. Uh, you know, maybe I'm the the, uh, the patronus if you will, for the bungled and the botched in this business. You know, the people who are like,
3: I'm still here,
0: even though I probably logically shouldn't be.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, i I, I given your natural ability to just adapt to do whatever you want. I, 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 I doubt you're going anywhere again. Anywhere, anytime soon. I saw, I saw a blog recently where somebody referred
0: to me as an unflushable turd. And at first... <laughs> At first, I took insult to that, but I was like, "Yeah, but that's memorable at least." You can't, and most people can't say that in life.
3: <laughs> well, man, thanks so much for uh, talking to me for so long.
0: Pleasure, really man. Great it. talking. To you. Great uh, questions, man. Thanks for talking no, about fat men no and Batman. No are one of my I, favorite
3: things in the world. I, I tried. Uh, I, I given. I, I thought you'd have a very tiny amount of time uh, while you were here, but we we tried to actually get you in and do our podcast, which is pretty much all we do. We talk about comics and uh, you know TV and and movies and shit like that, but uh, you know, given how busy you are, this is this is a nice way of doing it instead.
0: I'm coming back in a year with Hollywood Babylon, so you got my word. If you're still doing this job, uh, you know, talking yeah. about pop culture shit is my idea of fucking heaven. So as long as there's weed in that room, I'm
3: there. <laughs> we can we can make sure that it happens. Uh, <laughs> can can you say like just a drop for us? The podcast is called Hey Fan. What is it called? Hey, like Hey Family, but Hey Fam is a very stupid name, but we we roll with it. Hey
0: fam, H-E-Y-F-A-M. Yep. Here we go. Hey man, it's Kevin Smith, the guy who feels everything he says is so important that he's got six podcasts to his name. And you're listening to Hey Fam, another podcast he's trying to get his elbow inside of. Man, spread his voice around like a virus. <laughs>